What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smartcoat Moment channel, where we go back in time to the year 2002 and check out all of the episodes of Smackdown under Paul Heyman's stewardship as head writer. I'm your host as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me, as always, is Robert DeFelice. Hey, Callum, how are you feeling this week? A lot better than last week's one. Wow, I, can de- I can definitely say that. It's definitely a more noteworthy episode than the previous week's one. Not that you shouldn't check out the previous week's one anyway, because you should find out how not noteworthy the last episode was. Because you, you won't know unless you listen to it. And that's kind of the that's kind of the big deal here is that we want you to be checking out every single episode of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. That's why we've got a playlist on the Smart Home Moment channel here on YouTube. If you are listening to us on YouTube, then yeah, and if you are, drop us a like, leave a comment below, let you know what you're thinking about this episode and any other episode that you've listened to in the past. There's a link in the description as well for the YouTube channel to check out this episode of Smackdown on the WWE Network if you have not seen it in advance already. And if you aren't listening to us through YouTube, you more than welcome on any of the podcast feeds to drop us a rating leave us a review it all goes to just getting more eyes on the product and ears on the product especially on the podcast feeds um so i guess the, now we've got just a few of the plugs out of the way and just to get everyone excited let's drop in some news i think so one of the big news stories was the well sort of a, a deaf one which is obviously it's always a sad moment but it's the uh, the death of mr wrestling Ah, Tim Woods? Yes, Tim Woods. You know much ah. about uh, Mr. Wrestling? I only know just the bits of, like, the Territory Days and, you know, doing stuff in Mid-South. And there's not much I can say that I really know about Tim Woods. Well, he was, um, as Mr. Wrestling, he was, like, the biggest masked wrestler in the U.S. prior to the crossover of some um, of the Mexican stars, like Mil Mascaris in particular. So Mr. Wrestling was kind of an anomaly almost of being just a very popular masked wrestler in uh, U.S. territories. But the most interesting thing that I read about him in doing a little bit of research is that he was on the plane that broke Ric Flair's back. Yes. So he was also someone that suffered an injury during that, obviously not a career-ending injury. But it was him, uh, Johnny Valentine, uh, Bob Bruggers, uh, Jim Crockett, I think, was in that as well. Was it Jim Um... or Dave? Jim, uh, Dave was definitely there. Yeah. I think it was Dave. And, okay. of course, the pilot for that plane crash did not end up in good shape. No, um, sad, yeah, sadly he passed away of, as part of the um, injuries from the crash. Yeah. And um, Johnny, both Johnny Valentine and Bob Bruggers' careers were ended due to uh, broken backs they suffered as well. Ric Flair managed to recover. But it's, I, I always like, I say like, but I always go back and look at pictures of Ric Flair from prior to the crash and after the crash and he's it's like a different human being yeah this is it's very strange this is almost like the catalyst of Ric Flair's nature boy career um other slightly slightly dangerous news as well was involving a young Japanese upstart known as Hiroshi Tanahashi I'm sure Ah. you're familiar uh, did he ever go on to do anything? I'm like, I don't think he did. Uh, just carry an entire company on his back, which is quite um, quite the feat, actually, considering what the story is, which is that he got stabbed twice in the back yeah. by his uh, then-girlfriend. Um, he was attempting to break up with her. Clearly, that did not go too well. Um, he was stabbed twice with a 23-centimeter uh, kitchen knife. Jesus. 
Um, now, is he an idol at this point? Because I know idol culture and relationships, that gets weird quick. So... Um, he's very much um, still in the development. He was still, he was past the young lion phase, but he was still like seen as a prospect for the future. Don't know how much of an idol he was. He, he was definitely, I think he was involved in like either a tag team or a small faction at this point in time. And he had to, I think he took about six months off to recover from this. Well, that woman was not having it, so. No. Ah. Um, so he managed to drive a mile on his scooter to the hospital to get treatment. That's amazing. Yeah, because oh, he's the he's the ace for a reason. Yeah. Apparently one of the punk yeah, apparently one of the countries was dangerously close to piercing his lung. So and that could have been fatal, so he was I guess fortunate in a way, but obviously it's not very fortunate whenever you get stabbed in the first place, so like Yeah. I mean but Credit to him for making it through that, you know? Yeah. Uh, another thing in Japan as well, there was a shoot match between Minoru Suzuki and Jushin Liger, which I thought was just hilarious because in the fact that they had their matches together in 2019. In 20, even, like, towards the end of, like, well, at the start of 2020 was Jushin Liger's, Liger's final match and his last major feud was with Minoru Suzuki. I think that's funny. And obviously Suzuki got absolutely dominated it because Jushin Liger was not much of an amateur fighter. <laughs> Uh, Suzuki, I wouldn't want to run into Suzuki at any age in a negative context. Yeah, that, I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, back into more of the uh, WWE and American side of things. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper released their autobiographies at practically the same time. God, I wonder if that was planned. Well, the interesting thing is that the, the Hulk Hogan autobiography was a WWE-backed autobiography so was uh piper's not piper's was not ah piper was very much out of the fold in ww side of things obviously he would come back into the fold by the time that uh, wrestlemania 19 comes around yeah so, that's the very end of our journey yeah but right now he's very much uh outside of the realms of it and both autobiographies have issues with the due to the fact that hulk hogan's one being penned by wwe had a bit more censorship attached to it and also hogan is notoriously not good at I was gonna say dude unfortunately like I like like Hulk Hogan's a wrestler I can watch the legacy of Hulk Hogan is you know as a wrestler is a fun one because he is wrestling for so long but he's definitely become one of those people that if words come out of his mouth I am almost certain it's a lie uh but Piper's one was was seemingly from a more honest perspective due to the fact that it was just released under his own right, well, his writership and a ghostwriter's help as well. I can't remember the name of the ghostwriter, but um, but it was historically inaccurate in places because Piper doesn't have at that point didn't have the strongest memory and was also not exactly the most reliable storyteller in history as well. And this actually led to um, I remember listening to a Wrestling Observer fairly recently, Wrestling Observer Radio, where Dave Meltz talks about the fact that because he reported some of the historical inaccuracies and what actually happened from this autobiography. It led to a lot of heat between Roddy Piper and Dave Meltzer for a while. I believe that. Um, Piper, I heard a story about a backstage fight he had with, I think it was Nash. And, like, Nash just palmed him. And it was kind of the end of it because Piper knew, like, okay, I've been telling these stories. And I should, you know, not bark up the wrong tree. I don't blame Piper for being a uh, not a reliable storyteller because he comes from that era where, hey, 
they were exaggerators. That's what they did. Is this before or after he has that fucking meltdown on HBO? Oh, this is uh, before because the, the, the meltdown on HBO is the thing that led to him being fired when he came back to WWE. Yeah, dude, that was that was something. But um, one the one thing that I did want to take from it was um, they were both very similar in their takes on Mr. T at WrestleMania. The first WrestleMania, obviously, and obviously the boxing match followed it because essentially both their accounts verify the fact that basically everyone hated Mr. T. Yeah, I don't blame them for that. Like, I'm sure T is a great guy, but 1985, Um, you're going to come, you know, you're going to come into wrestling and just kind of prima donna it. Well, it's it's a lot of people, I I guess the Mr. T now, we can't obviously can't speak for Mr. T now, but a lot of people back then just didn't like him in general as a person, both in the wrestling business and then towards the end of the A team, everyone hated him on on set as well. And by the time that WrestleMania 2 came around, he was the... Essentially, his match with Roddy Piper turned Roddy Piper babyface because everyone hated Mr. T. Like in the crowd? Yeah, the crowd booed Mr. T coming out. They booed the fact that he quote unquote won after the body slam by Piper. It's yes. Um, you go back and listen to it. Maybe it's been tweeted a little bit so you don't hear it as much, but it was definitely a case of, well, essentially going straight off of that match, WrestleMania 2, Piper almost immediately turned babyface. Do you. Do you think anybody else in 1985 could have done that? What? Could have the done, no, could have done the Hulk Hogan. Like, could have been partnered with Hogan outside of T. I think that was the it was the right choice in terms of just the star power that he brought at that point in time. Apparently, they both told the story in the um, their autobiographies about the fact that Mr. T almost walked out on the day of WrestleMania. Oh, that's that's really scummy. Yeah, and uh, so Hogan managed to convince him to take part in it as well. But essentially, there was a big talk about the finish side of it because they uh, essentially a lot of people backstage were uncomfortable with the idea of Mr. T scoring the pinfall. Hogan does score the pinfall, right? Yeah, he does. He, he does eventually pins, win the actual match itself. Yeah, he, he pins Orndorff. But, because... Yeah, but a long but a long discussion prior to it was basically Mr. T wanting to get the pinfall, and a lot of wrestlers saying, "Yeah, I'm not oh, so sure about yeah. that." Side. I okay, but like, yeah, Hogan. Should have gotten the pinfall. I'm gonna go a step further here. Should it have been Hogan versus Piper? Yes, it should. Well, if you couldn't get Mr. T involvement, I think, I think for the context of it being WrestleMania one, if this was WrestleMania two, then yeah, it should have definitely been Piper and uh, Hogan. But the context of it being the first WrestleMania and having all this celebrity involvement with Liberace and Muhammad Ali and all these people, like it made sense to have like essentially the biggest TV, one of the biggest TV stars at the time being in your main event if you can get him to participate in it so i understand from that context why that was the main event if if, in a pure wrestling sense it should have been hogan and piper um one step further should it have been a six-man tag because for some reason just because it's such an anomaly to the rest of mania the idea that it's this tag match with jimmy snooker and or and uh, bob orton on the outside just doesn't sit right with me. It's just this weird, like, this isn't a WrestleMania match. That is true, but maybe just because, like, in retrospect, the fact that Jimmy Snooker wasn't actually in the match means they can look back on it a little bit more fondly. Oh, we're going to have to cover it up a little bit. There, There's some stuff on this show that they covered up that I had to look back on and was pretty shocked about. 
Uh, would you have to cover up the fact that TNA at this point in time were beginning the foundations of their freeway faction war between sports entertainment extreme, uh, the pro wrestlers essentially, and evil, which was essentially anybody that was managed by James Father Mitchell. James Mitchell. Yeah. So unreal. Yeah, that's um, what was going on at the time. Boy, they love their faction wars. Yeah, they do Always. that quite a lot. Yeah. Well, that's but essentially what what's essentially what WCW post NWO was all about. And I know obviously they had the Four Horsemen and people like that beforehand and the Dangerous Alliance, but basically post NWO, it was all about giant factions and then turning that giant faction into loads of little factions. And that's essentially what TNA was doing pretty much for the rest of their existence. Yeah, like literally, I think I could probably name a faction for every year of their existence. Mm. It's a good deal. I Sports Entertainment Extreme, that was a gimmick that I saw play out. I saw all of this play out, actually. And it was fine for what it was, I guess, back when you were just like, yeah, this is what wrestling is. And, and you know, they're the invading faction. But it's so clearly a terrible rehash of things that worked several years beforehand and i'm glad that almost nobody remembers it uh back in the actual like main bubble of wwe uh kurt angle it was announced that he, well essentially the observer reported that he was going to get his knee scoped after armageddon so essentially wonderful he was going to go wonderful time to get your knee scoped yes yeah, so apparently it was the idea that if he got surgery straight after armageddon he would hopefully have enough time to recover before royal rumble and it turned out he did Although Kangle is kind of the the kind of worker that it didn't really matter if his knee was ready to go or not, he probably was still going to have that match anyway. That's literally what they did. They had him injured the entire time, and then he goes out and has a banger with Benoit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then another interesting footnote for the WWE side of things was this week was when Raven began his Seven Deadly Sins gimmick on Heat. Um, he, you it doesn't this? last very long, does it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think it lasts two or three weeks. Essentially, he fights someone on this show. I think he just shoves... A, actually, I don't even know if he fights someone, but he definitely does some sort of segment where he stuffs a load of money in somebody's mouth, and essentially that's supposed to be the encapsulation of greed. And so he's trying to take like the idea of taking all the seven deadly sins and exploiting them on TV, but I generally don't know what the... Uh, I think he's explained it before, but I can't really get my head around what his end goal with that was. I'm just surprised that Raven does almost nothing after losing the United States title to Goldberg between WCW or WWE. Like, Raven was a hot character that really fizzled out quite quickly. Well, he won, like, like 30 odd hardcore title reigns. Yeah, but that was, you know, that's WWE's pitch title. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Raw and SmackDown side of things, because obviously we're in a bit, we're in a faction, not a faction war, a brand war, supposedly. Uh, WWE loves their brand warfare. Feels so, more like it back then than it does now. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see what the ratings were like. So this is obviously for the uh, 5th of December episode of SmackDown. Uh, so that is a 3.91 uh, raw for the 2nd of December 2002, a 3.3. So back to uh, being SmackDown's bitch in the ratings war. 
after that uh, the Thanksgiving episode the previous week. Um, so what was Raw up to that led to this um, a slight decline in their actual ratings? Uh, main event, Triple H defeated Rob Van Dam in a number one contenders match with Shawn wow. Michaels as the guest referee. I remember this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially, they it's, it's it's for me it's a bit of a lampoon on the uh, Bret Hart Undertaker with Shawn Michaels as guest referees thing. It's like you know he hates one of the guys, but he still has to do the count for them. That's kind yeah. of what I saw of it. And it right now with Shawn, it's not until the go home for Armageddon and Armageddon itself that I think Shawn Michaels is actually back. Because once you get past Armageddon, Shawn Michaels is back. But at this point, like we're still just glad to have him. Mm. So it's still very, it's a very sluggish move towards the goal here. So Scott Steiner appeared on Raw. And obviously we see a bit of a reference to that on this episode of SmackDown, which we'll talk about later. But essentially he appeared, he tried to make Victoria one of his freaks. Uh, yeah, he did. And uh, she didn't comply. Because she's with Stephen Richards, so Scott Steiner and Julie complied. Did... <laughs> just, like this was the most shocking thing I think I've I saw all week. Yeah, so he beats up Stephen Richards for a while, and Bischoff then tries to woo Steiner with a bevy of ladies, essentially just tons and tons of hot women. And Steiner says, oh, "This so is all he, really he's good." Defended by because he's like, "Hey, I can get my own women. In fact, I have somebody in a limo." And Bischoff is like, ah, wait, wait, please, no. And of course, who's in the limo, Cal? Well, in the limo is the super freak herself, Stephanie McMahon. <sighs> Woo! First Dude. of all, the fact that Stephanie McMahon is called a super freak is amazing. And then, when we get to the part later in the episode where she explains her actions, it's even better. Yeah, so that's, that's it's going to be a bit of an on-running story here, but essentially what the segment showed on Raw was... Stephanie going out of the limo saying that she can offer Scott Steiner something that Bischoff can't, which is essentially a vagina. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> sounds awful. <laughs> I feel bad that I just said that, but I'm just going to power through. Wow. Um, but it's, I know that's what you Why? said, but like, it feels bad that I'm saying it. Just, <laughs> but, like, you yeah, know, so, so she's essentially, she's a woman, he's a man, so she, she, she can fuck him and he can't. That's essentially what the story was here. So, I, I do, I don't know if, okay, later in the episode, just because it's a quick segment anyway, we can bury the lead, she, she basically says, I gave up my body for the SmackDown audience. Like, I don't know what's more shocking to me. The fact that in one week's time, they had Stephanie basically say, oh yeah, I'm on my period, so I'm being a bitch. Well, that's done now, so I'm going to give my body to Scott Steiner, and you should love me for giving my body to somebody for your entertainment. Or the fact that they never... She goes right back to being a babyface. They do not touch on this. No. Well, we will definitely get more into it when we talk about that side of things. That's what's going on on Raw. So it's SmackDown involvement on Raw for a little bit. Uh, Victoria lost to Jacqueline in a non-title match. That's not bad. Don't they have a three-way dance? Isn't it like Jackie, Trish, yeah, and Yeah, it's good, going out to Armageddon. Yeah, we're to, yeah, like you say, a three-way between those three women. Um, is she coming out to all the things she said yet? No, she does. That's the first time she does that is at Armageddon. All right, that's what I thought. Uh, Chris Jericho and Christian defeated Booker T and Goldust 
uh, to defend tag team titles. Is this when Goldust starts crying that he's weak link? Uh, potentially, yeah, I think so because I think the original match was just a Jericho against Booker T singles match. Then everyone got involved and they made it a tag title match, and Goldust took the pin. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they're building up that side of things. Uh, Batista defeated the Hurricane, and Kane, Kane then made the save post match. Good. Still be on towards that. And then it's just a load of like nothing matches. Dudley's beat, beat uh, Three Minute Warning. Uh, Lance Storm, William Regal defeated Jeff Hardy and Tommy Dreamer. And then why Jeff, Je- Re- why Jeff Hardy and Tommy Dreamer? Uh, because Jeff had nothing going on, and Dreamer was just being a guy on the roster that they could throw in and take the pinfalls. That's uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that with Sheena on this show, but that's almost egregious that Jeff Hardy had nothing going on. And Trish Stratus defeated Ivory. So I guess I guess in a way they're all building it towards Armageddon because the Dudleys and William Regal and Lance Storm both compete for the tag team titles at Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Trish competes for the women's title. So at least they're giving the people that are going to be on the pay-per-view wins, which isn't yeah. all, often the case in WWE's booking at any point in time. And I have to say, the build to Batista may be the textbook best way to build a superstar ever i mean if you just if you get rid of the smackdown stuff and you just take him from his raw debut to when he wins the world title from triple h at wrestlemania 21 that might be like the best build of a character yeah yeah it's definitely somebody that they brought in like the look of and gave a long-running story where he was always part of the biggest faction for a while obviously he gets injured for a bit but he comes back and he's part of the biggest faction and then he can break away from the faction and be the top guy so yeah. and he rises to the ranks he does it he does everything the way he's quote-unquote supposed to and it really does pay off so let's talk a little bit about this smackdown episode then shall we so december 5th 2002 from the american airline center in dallas texas yes uh, back in the south so stephanie's obviously must be very thrilled about that uh, the, the big D, as they said several times throughout this show. This we'll is... Again. Yeah, oh yes. <laughs> this is a very fun episode of SmackDown with a lot of head-scratching moments for me. Yeah, that's probably the big perspective. I, I can't say it's super fun because I think my... Uh, again, bearing the lead, my perspective on this episode is skewed by how good the main event is. Right. And I think everything else surrounding it is not that great, but it's elevated because of how good the main event is. But we'll discuss it and see like if we carry that perspective all the way through. So the show starts with a recap of Stephanie suspending Brock Lesnar. And the commentators then announce that there's going to be a fatal four-way main event with the number one contendership for the WWE Championship Armageddon up for grabs. Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit versus Edge versus Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, so, and when you say those names, good thoughts as far as a wrestling perspective comes into mind and this match does deliver so let's talk about a opening match which i guess i can argue whether it delivers or not it's a uh, ray mysterio versus albert yeah i i liked it i i think it's interesting to see albert thrust back in here because he really does have a huge presence on this show um i like that Michael Cole set it up well by saying, you know, Albert's pissed that he's been relegated to Velocity. That makes sense. Here's a former IC champion. I'd be pissed if I was relegated to Velocity too. 
for some reason, this is going to turn him into a train. But that's okay. Well, they're yeah. doing the same with Braun Strowman now. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. He's the Strowman Express. Maybe this is a Heyman thing. Maybe Heyman likes trains. So, Albert is back. This is the first match that he's had on SmackDown since, I think, around about July or August, when he just lost to somebody randomly. But Mysterio... Do you know what he was doing on Velocity for the time in between? Um, he was going to railway stations. And uh, no, no. Um, he was starting to... Because, okay, in this match, he wrestles in just trunks, no shirt, no anything, which is different than the last time you see him on TV. Mm. He's telling women to touch his man fur. Uh, yeah. So we, d- we do hear, for the first time, the massive shave your back chance. Yeah. And so that's like, I don't know whether that was piped in or because it, it feels like it's something that they would pipe in to try and actually encourage people to do it later on. But, yeah, I can imagine it being piped in. Yeah, because it just seems like it's odd that people were already referencing that, although he does have a huge hairy back. He does. So for those that weren't aware at this point, time, Mysterio is working injured. This was to write him off for a short period of time. Um, so they decided to give this the put this push to Albert of all people, but I guess if they were doing something with the A train and something and changing his gimmick up, then this was a good way to give the catalyst to it. So Mysterio starts off working well. He nails like a springboard drop kick, but Albert then takes over with a sit out military press press slam, which I thought was an interesting, unique move. The thing about Albert is that he was a very good worker, very very good. I mean, he's the head trainer of um, NXT for a reason. Yeah, we're going to see the guy he replaced on tonight's SmackDown as well. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, he's just a very competent work. And like, he's never, he was never ever going to really be a star. But I don't think you need to be a star to be a top trainer of the company. You just need to know the fundamentals. And he had the fundamentals down. He was an incredibly safe worker. He was, he was there at the company for a very long time. He got seasoned in Japan as well. So he's familiar with that style. So. There's a good chance if they don't sign him, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, that uh, Albert, Matt Bloom, is in on the OG Bullet Club. Yeah, that, that like, he was dumb. Yeah, he was working with Carl Anderson, and he, Albert's great. I have no problem with him getting a huge push. So Mysterio hits the 619 later in the match, but Albert then catches him when he goes to the West Coast Pop into a powerbomb. He seamlessly throws Mysterio into an over-the-shoulder backbreaker and then gets the win. Beautiful. It's it's shocking, really, in the sense that because Mysterio's been booked so well, it's like it's seemed like a big upset that Albert, like you said, this former Intercontinental Champion that's been with the company for a good like two or three years at this point, um, won a match against Mysterio, and he feels like the underdog. Yeah, I also think that maybe there's some retrospect in there because Albert's career in WWE goes one way, and Mysterio's goes another. But I thought this was great. This is as textbook as you get. And it still tells a wonderful story that will play out through the entire night. Yeah, absolutely. Because after the match, Albert isn't done. He's still showing signs of frustration. He squashes Mysterio in the corner, then ties him up into a tree of woe, attacking his left knee. Because, of course, if, if Mysterio's injured, it's always the knee that's the issue. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why. Here's a man who relies heavily on springboard offense and leg stuff. I wonder why his knees are always hurt. So Albert then hits the knee repeatedly with a steel chair until Edge comes out to make the save. Uh, Albert is just taken away by officials. 
the studio is treated by medical staff as the show goes to commercial. Uh, we come back from commercial. Um, Funaki, SmackDown's number one announcer, is in the stairwell with Bill DeMott. See, this is why maybe I have a slight disconnect with this episode. It's just kept that they've just now put two characters on my screen that I've had absolutely nothing to do. Like, obviously, I know historically going back and watching this, but if I was a new fan watching at this point in time, or just somebody who wasn't really watching day to day, they've just thrust somebody who wasn't doing anything for a long time in Albert on SmackDown and started to just randomly push him. And now Bill DeMott, who wasn't even a big deal throughout any of 2002, is now Or 2001, here. for that matter. Yeah, and when he was in 2001, he was Hugh Morris. Yeah. The, the last time we've seen him was probably that Survivor Series, unless you watched like Velocity or Metal or Jacked or whatever you would watch at that point in time. But the, the last time you would have seen him on a a WWE main show was that Battle Royal in Survivor Series probably when he just gets when him and Chavo Guerrero try and just interfere in it and get thrown out weren't they also doing a bit for a while where they were like trying to interview the women in the locker rooms yeah I think so yeah they were doing that as well but essentially Bill DeMott is just well he's not Bill DeMott he's uh he was Hugh Morris and now he's being introduced to Bill DeMott because he was one of the trainers in Tough Enough 3 and so they're trying to build off that side of things because Funaki's question is, he says how big a fan of Tough Enough 3 he was and Bill DeMott is not happy that he was a big fan of Tough Enough 3 because he's been sitting on the sidelines for too long and he's frustrated about that, that he's had to do all this Tough Enough stuff and now he's back on SmackDown and he wants to just beat people up and he's going to start with Funaki. So he says he's been, with, been in the wrestling business for 11 years and the best SmackDown can give him is an interview with a guy that can barely speak English. Uh, he grabs Funaki. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a cheap shot there. Grabs Funaki by the head, says that he deserves better, and then hit butts Funaki down. Yeah, this man was angry. Yeah, he was very angry, and uh, well, wonder why he didn't last so long in the head trainer <laughs> position with this sort of attitude. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a case of first of all, why are they doing this interview in a stairwell? Because Funaki, that's the best he could do. I guess so. <laughs> um, the other thing with that is that. Why Why are they doing this now with a double thing of, like... They've done that... They've basically done the exact same story with Albert, and now they're doing the exact same thing with Bill DeMott. It just seems a little bit samey to me. Yeah, I felt the same. It seemed like they really just woke up and were like, we need big guys. You know, we need... Yeah, I wonder who woke up there. I, I imagine that was exactly him. And just says, you know, we, we need monsters again, and... You create two. Build them out goes nowhere. I don't even know if this lasts a couple of weeks. It's not it, last. It lasts long. a while. It, like I know he's in the Royal Rumble, so it lasts at least up to that point. But but I, I would argue that immediately following, he's the color commentator on Velocity. That wouldn't surprise me. Either. Yeah. Um, and Albert does well. He is. This is the run that takes him all the way to being one of the twenty-one on the Undertaker streak, and. He has a good run. So Edge is raging in the trainer's room as Mysterio gets treated. Uh, the trainers basically say that Mysterio's knee may be shattered. So that's the on-running story yeah, here. Edge is not figured out acting yet at this point. No. He, he is like, oh, I'm angry. Don't tell me to calm down. Why, what's wrong with his knee? Like, he was really far too enraged by this. 
we'll see more of that as the show progresses. Um, Stephanie stands on stage for the thing that we talked about earlier, uh, saying that she's horror. Now, this is the thing that really pisses me off about this continuity side of shit, the thing. It's, um, so she's horrified about what happens to Mysterio, but she talks about how wrestlers sacrifice their bodies every night. So I guess, (laughs) but but I'm just saying like, okay, so I guess you're not going to suspend Albert the same way that you suspended Brock Lesnar for attacking Matt Hardy. Yeah, I I hate all of that. That's (laughs) something that bothers me in wrestling regardless. Like sometimes it's the littlest thing is like, oh, that's it for you, buddy. And then, you know, this guy can go on a rampage and no repercussions. Yeah, it's just a case of if you're going to do that story for one person, it has to apply for everyone else. I'm not saying that if, like, say, it was six months later, then I'm totally fine with it because that's out of the memory a little bit. But that guy was just suspended. He's suspended right now. You only suspended him the previous week for what that, that stuff that he did. And now this guy's just att- assaulted somebody that he was in no feud with beforehand with a steel chair, taking one of your top stars, your former tag team champion, out of commission for however long. And, like, ah, these things happen in wrestling. That's kind I of. I remember what a couple months ago when she was like. No, Benoit and Angle cannot touch each other, but I'll suspend them because nobody's bigger than SmackDown. Like, so she clearly doesn't care about losing top stars. No. Um, so they show footage of, from Raw of uh, Bishop trying to please Scott Steiner with his women, but then Stephanie emerges from a limo because she can please him more than any random women from, but uh, I guess, uh, Bischoff picked up from some strip club somewhere. You know, we talk a lot about uh, Vince and his odd relationship to allow this to happen with his daughter. But let's talk about Hunter. You think Hunter is really like, okay with his wife being portrayed as a whore? Uh, Well, at the moment, he's not she's not his wife. Not until uh, 2003 anyway. But but I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of. Well, I guess it's the, again, it's just always comes down to the mindset that Triple H knows where his bread is buttered right now. So if he, if he's, um, I'm sure he's not happy about it, but he's not going to say anything about it. Same with the Katie Vick thing. If, if Triple H was so adamant against it, he could have probably said, no, I'm not doing this Katie Vick thing. I'm not fucking a corpse for your entertainment. But he did it anyway because he's going to be taking over the company someday. You think that, like, he and Stephanie have had conversations privately, like, I don't fucking like this. Why are you doing oh, this? Oh, God, I'm sure they've done it all. <laughs> I mean, you see the way that he books NXT. It's completely, re- well, at least until recently, anyway, it was completely removed from what WWE did before and stuff like that. So it's like, he has a ver- he has a way that he wants to book his wrestling, and that's yeah. removed from what Vince's perspective is nowadays. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure they've had plenty of uh, raised words or anything like that about saying, yeah, what the fuck is your dad on or anything like that? That's no. kind of like, I'm sure it's all boiled down to that. Yeah, it's, so, it's just so strange. And then for Stephanie to be like, it, she's still kind of being a heel here. And she's like, oh, look at me. You know, I'm willing to fuck Scott Steiner for you people. That's how much I care about my It was just very true. And by the way, then he doesn't even go to SmackDown, so... Yeah, we'll talk about that next week because that's when it all comes to head because she announces that he'll be here next week to sign his contract to join SmackDown. Um, Stephanie then stands by a decision to suspend Bronk for denying her authority, uh, but he'll be here to explain his side of the story. And then she does the tease of the thing, but, oh, no, he's not actually going to be here. He's just going to be via satellite to get more booze from the crowd. So, yeah, she's still definitely on the heel alignment at this point. So. And again, I didn't like that because why is Stephanie... 
suddenly just like I'm a bitch. I don't know how to book authority figures any other way. And I'll bet you anything that this would not have changed, except for the fact that what is it around February, Vince comes back, and they knew that they were going to do Vince and Hogan at WrestleMania. Yes, and then they go really hardcore on the Stephanie baby face sort of thing. Yeah, because then Vince has to be the jackass. So we move on to, well, speaking of jackasses, Jamie Noble against Crash Holly. Uh, A very surprising match. Yeah, this, uh, it is interesting. Um, so Nidia's on commentary. Taz tries to pry information about Nunzio, but she doesn't want to talk about Nunzio. Uh, Noble dominates the match early off, sacking Crash before the bell. Crash then takes over by face party Noble, then decking him with a clothesline. Uh, Crash hits a step-up bulldog, but then Nidia puts Noble's foot on the ropes for the pin. Uh, Crash confronts Nidia on the outside, blocks a slap, and then kisses her. Yeah, she wasn't a fan of that one, so they're clearly... They're they're moving away from the Nidia likes to be with other men and Jamie. So. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, a little bit like that. But I also think that... I think it's fine for a woman to like to want to explore with multiple men and also not be sexually assaulted. I think that's kind of you can kind of strike a balance between both. Right, players. but like, for a while they were doing the whole did people would do that and she would enjoy it. Like if Jerry did it, they tried to get Michael Cole oh, to yeah. do it, and now she's like, ah, no, please stop touching me. So Crash chases Nidia into the ring, gets caught by Noble into a Tiger Bomb predicament, but he rolls through this and then hits the crash landing, which, which is, the is Styles Clash. Yeah, the Styles Clash. Yeah, so he, like, he's a very good Styles Clash. Yeah, and this was a picture-perfect Styles Clash, which they did not know how to call. They were like, uh, it looked like he was going for a pile driver, but just sort of landed him on his belly. It's like, so, so, obviously, AJ Styles is wrestling in TNA at this point in time. He has already established his Styles Clash as one of his finishing moves. Yeah, Crash was there as yeah. Mad Mikey. And not until... Oh, it was he, he wasn't there until uh, post... His Did WWE he leave? run. Is it post WWE? Wow. Yeah, because yeah, because one of his I don't say his last match, but one of his final matches on the independent circuit, obviously. But prior to that, his final run was final real run with any company was with TNA. So, so he's using the crash landing on WWE, which I I don't know whether he already saw Styles do it and decided to take it on, who or he was already doing it. So, but then again, resting motion be sacred. Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer, to an extent, when, like, some key moves are sacred. He probably thought he could get away with this because AJ was in such a regional, small-time promotion at the time. Mm. But, you know, it's it's all good. Uh, after the match, a distraught noble says that Nunzio is being called in next week, and Nidia is upset about that. Yeah, uh, Nidia is not down with the mob. <laughs> like, she is... Definitely afraid of Nunzio. Okay, let's uh, let's deal with this now. Um, oh, well, well, what's wrong, Cal? What, what's what's here? What's all right, happening? All right, all right. I'm I'm gonna just let me talk about this. Let me just go through the situation. Then I'll let you go off as much as you want to. But so Dawn Marie approaches Tori Wilson backstage. She says that she just wants to talk, and that Al is overseas right now. But Dawn says that he's not the only person in Tori Wilson's family that she's interested in. Tori is confused. Uh, but Dawn says that she's interested in her. She describes her beautiful eyes, her voluptuous body. And you know that Vince wrote this because it uses the word voluptuous and like soft skin. Tori gets annoyed about her touching her and saying all this stuff, saying that she can't believe that this has all been all about her in the first place. So Dawn makes a indecent proposal. 
saying to join her in a hotel room late tonight. And if she does that, then she won't marry her father. As much as she supposedly loves Al Wilson, she won't do that. Um, Dawn then says this really corny, softcore porn line about how only a woman can make another woman feel good and all that other stuff. And then she just leaves Tori stunned and walks away. Rob, oh, you, go you at bear, it. You buried the lead. Go at it. Thing. Go that, at that, it. That just, okay, the thing that Dawn says at the end of the segment isn't the only softcore porn thing here. This whole thing looks like somebody was... You know, up late watching Cinemax one night and just said, Oh, why don't we just do this? Oh, God, uh, I can't imagine any WWE writer or Paul Heyman or Vincent Mann doing that at some point in their life. But, like, the idea that I'm, I'm not saying that they wouldn't frequently watch stuff like that. I'm saying, who decided, Oh, these stories, these horribly acted softcore porn stories, we need one of these. This is what we need. Well, they've already established with the HLA stuff that they're really on a lesbian kick right now. They they certainly are. And then it's like the Tori Wilson's facial expressions are out of this world. Like, like honestly, was she? Did she have a history of adult films before getting signed by Turner? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, she started in WCW as a, essentially like one of those like um, amateur film things because she was just being filmed by David Flair all the time. Right. I mean, it, it, this was just bad. And then there's the idea of, as you know, Al Wilson's overseas doing what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just was just let, let a 78 year old man just go overseas for some reason. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I don't get what any of this was about. And I also don't remember this segment actually closing the show. Yeah, and, we'll get to that. So I don't but, like, sure. this this was out of this world. I could not believe that, like, Dawn is basically just saying, no, and let's see the thing. She doesn't even, she's still not being a bitch because she's still not even saying, I'm manipulating your father. Nope. No, no, I love your father, but I also want to fuck you. And if you fuck me, I won't marry your father, swear. Well, that's a little evil, isn't it? Because she's both going to be cheating on Al Wilson and she's forcing Tori into a situation she doesn't want to be part of. So that's a little evil. And then, the, the, glad you said that, because coming out of this, Taz and Cole are like, oh, that's an indecent proposal. Do you think Tori will still be innocent by the end of the night? Or will she be a victim? It's like, what the fuck are you guys? What is this? What is this? Why? Why is this happening? Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's just. I mean, it's just awful, awful stuff. Like, it's, it's I, I, I so hate bad. this. I mean, I know we've talked about the soft couple and like. I hate this whole like, oh, because this is a trope they're using a lot of like. Not that I'm like a connoisseur or anything like that, but it's in the stuff. I'm. I am also just like a male in his twenties. So yes. I do browse the the adult entertainment from time to time and stuff like that. So it's just a common trope about this idea that, oh, because women understand each other's bodies so much more than that means that, oh, yeah, they have to. That means, okay, every woman is secretly a lesbian, that sort yeah, of thing. That's kind right. Of... <laughs> right, it's like this weird thing of like, you and know. This, and that is a totally male perspective on all this thing as well. I, which is so fucking stupid. Yeah. And it's like, even if I, I'm sure, you know, some people will say that, yes, that statement is true. But 
like it's just this weird like well we've all you know all women fuck women and get married to men and have loving relationships with men it's just a normal thing it's like yeah it's no. just that perspective it's just that perspective it's also the idea of like um in the, in the same way that yeah that all women are secretly lesbians or anything along those lines or the thing about like the male like you're saying like the male fantasy of like oh two women together is totally fine that's not cheating but if she was to cheat on a man that's totally fine but if she if my like wife or girlfriend was to cheat with a woman then oh that's kind of hot actually that's yeah, all, that's kind of hot but if it's a man hold on now she's a bitch yeah it's just that's an like, awful state it's just such a very like so bro centric yeah yeah just yeah so I don't really like talking about that. Obviously, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on and for weeks going on. I also want to bring up this side of things because I, I, I've always clocked you mentioned this side of things. You've always taken the perspective when we discussed in the past that Dawn was actually just really interested in Tori. Right. See, I take the perspective of that she wasn't interested in Tori. She was just trying to fuck with her and her family. But I... See, I like the idea of Dawn being interested in Tori because, again, it's like the well, I've been watching you have these bikini contests and I've been watching you on this and that. Because I just can't understand, like, okay, why are you fucking with her family if you're just like, there, there's nothing to gain here, you know? I know there's nothing to gain, but I, I've always taken the perspective, and again, I don't think either side, we can't really say whether we're right or wrong because they'll never tell us about this storyline, definitely not going forward or anything like that, but it's just a case of, in my mind, it's kind of, it comes down to just this petty thing of Tori beat Dawn in a bikini contest, and this has been to- Dawn's revenge the entire time. But, like, that, I would much rather just believe that, no, no, she just wants to fuck Tori, because at least, like, there's some, like, there's some logic there. It's of being, oh, well, you beat me in a bikini contest, so you know what? I'm going to ruin your, like, that's just, that's too much for me. All right, let's escape this for a little while. Let's talk about Bill DeMott versus Funaki. Um, so this is just as one side as it, yeah. as it gets, really. Good squash. This is the beginning. I don't know if it's the beginning, but we're going to get knee deep now in WWE opening their pants and taking a shit all over WCW because this was the bulk of the match. Well, Taz going, you know, I know Bill DeMont, and, and yeah, he's been in the business forever, and the best WCW could give him was he was humorous, and then he's not humorous, he's not a general erection, he's Bill DeMont, and he's pissed off, it's like, okay, I get it, you think that everything WCW did was bad, but you know what, all these years later, that's really starting to bite them in the ass, because how bad is what they've done with people through the years? You know, and it's, it's more than that as well. It's just a case of yes, his name was Hugh Morris, and yes, he was General Erection as well. He was pushed in WCW. Yeah, they gave him belts. <laughs> like a, he, he was, he was a United States champion multiple times. He was in a big. He was the leader of a stable. Again, it was misfits in action, so it wasn't exactly like it's not exactly main event level, but it was TV. It was a a stable that was getting prominent TV time on WCW against WWE on Monday Nitro constantly. Towards and, the end of it too, like he was a big deal. And, and yes, Bill DeMott is a quote-unquote more serious like character with a chip on his shoulder. But he doesn't actually have a real character. And he doesn't have anything that really... like The, the one good thing about this match, obviously it is a good squash, but the, the main thing that you take away from it is the moonsault at the end. Because Bill DeMott has a fantastic moonsault. But, yeah, one but of the best. Like, but I don't really feel connected to his character. All I know is that he's a pissed-off dude. So, okay. That's like... <laughs> 
I've seen that like that's a dime a dozen in wrestling, pretty much. Oh, you're upset that you didn't get pushed enough. Oh, so now you're really angry, and now this is what your your whole push is based around the fact that you didn't get a push beforehand. That's like like every single year, there's at least one or two wrestlers that take that gimmick on. I uh, this is a little outside of 2002 and more um, until nowadays, but I really want a few years break from that, like. Well, I'm mad because I'm not getting a push from it. Like, I hate that whole, well, everything else before this point is fake because this is a fake business, but this is the real, it's like, I hate that. Everyone's so worried about the push. Yeah. Yeah, that, there's that too. But it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're basically saying, well, you know, Hugh Morris is fake and Bill DeMott is real. Congratulations, Hugh Morris got a push. Bill DeMott did not. Uh, let's move on to Los Guerreros meeting backstage. Oh, hold on. Was it was it this match or is it the Cruiserweight title match where Taz talks about the Benoit interview that we don't see? Oh, I can't actually remember that side of things. You're going to have to um, – so, can you just uh, describe the whole situation? Okay, we'll talk so about it now. as you know, just like the Los Guerreros thing that we're going to talk about in a second, everybody has time to talk. The four competitors in the main event have time to talk. We do not see Benoit talk, but the way Taz explains it, I can understand why they cut this. Because Benoit apparently could promo about how much he loves his family, and being champion would validate the sacrifices that he's had to make, and being away from the family that he loves. And uh-huh. I was like, aha, that's, that makes perfect sense to cut that out of the show. I would have even cut Taz explaining it out of the show. Um, yeah, I just thought that was very interesting, because they haven't caught a lot of Benoit. Like, ah, uh, here it is, yeah. Uh, you, so, I found it on YouTube, you type in a Chris Benoit interview, Smackdown, 5th of December, 2002. So, it's a sit-down interview of Chris Benoit, wearing, like, a uh, leather jacket. And he basically, like, as Rob describes, he's talking about his family, and he's talking about just how winning the title will be, like, the, the culmination of his career, the thing that, like, showing all the sacrifices he's made and all that other side of it. So you can yeah. find it on YouTube if you want to see that K-Out one. But I guess, like, like you say, it's understandable why they wouldn't want to broadcast this on the network. Yeah, I understand. So Los Guerreros do meet backstage, so this is one that isn't cut out. Eddie says it's big night as Chavo will become the Cruiserweight champion. Eddie will win the Fatal 4-Way, and then he will go on to become the WWE champion. Eddie jokes about how Chavo will need a bigger chest to carry both his titles around. Um, I like that. And then they go up on the whole bit of, like, our whole family and Hector and Mondo and Chavo and this one. And that. I, I love this Los Guerreros. And it's a big, the, uh, the, the people that will be especially proud will be Grandma. Yeah, which I guess if Chavo said Grandma, that's that makes it Eddie's mother, right? Um, I guess, I guess um, yeah, that'll be one of his uh, grandmothers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah. But that's uh, cool. They remind us to be like as focused as possible because this is like they take over WWE. It's it's a good promo. Yeah. The one thing I'll say, even with the removed Benoit promo, they treated this fatal four way very seriously. Like a world title contender match should be treated. But let's talk about a bad promo as Michael Collins has or interviewing Brock Lesnar via satellite. Yeah, Brock. Brock's Brock not, Lesnar, yeah. Yeah, Brock's not great on the mic. As, no. As has been shown throughout the many years uh, under Paul Heyman's leadership now. Uh, 
So I, I wonder if he's better live though, because I've seen him do like in in the um USA in studio. Well, UFC as well, but like in studio in this very journey, it hasn't been as bad. This no, definitely was not. So fucking bad. Like he feels so scripted when he's reading all this stuff out. Like it, it doesn't sound like anything that I'd expect Brock Lesnar to say. And it's not because Brock Lesnar isn't a, a good, like, just not erudite or can't speak very well or anything like that. But it's just a case that some of the language he was using is just so, like, something Nobody that a bullshit writer's come up with, yeah. Nobody talks about that. Yeah. Like, he calls Big Show a big puppet in Heyman's game. He says he can only blame himself from associating with Heyman in the first place. Then uses the line, he was raped of the WWE Championship. Well, he says that Taz said he was raped to the WWE Championship. I yeah, don't remember Taz saying this. No, I mean, he made sure that he said that he was raped to it. And then he goes after Stephanie until he's interrupted by the Big Show and Heyman pretty mercilessly. Uh, shows in another brown jacket. Yeah. Really he likes sure is. He likes those brown jackets. He looks like like he's really trying hard to be the representable champion. Mm. So Heyman is saving this segment by basically saying that he wants to talk about Sons Brock face to face. But he keeps losing his uh, temper. His temper. Says that Brock is a petulant child that keeps disobeying his pa- parent. So Big Show had to give him the spanking that he deserved. Uh, Heyman said that Brock didn't screw Brock Lesnar. They screwed Brock Lesnar. And they liked doing it. And they would do it all over again. And see, and I unfortunately feel like the one fallacy here is they say they hatched the plan only the week before Survivor yeah, Series. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I actually wrote a note about that as well. Because Big Show... We covered this. The Big Show said a good three or four weeks before Survivor Series that he was under advisement by yeah. someone. That was so, the one. That was the one fallacy. Yeah. So clearly nobody's like paying attention to continuity there, or maybe they just didn't care about the side of things. And they wanted the new continuity to be that they only planned it a week in advance. But maybe either way. Uh, but Brock gets angry about this side of things. Says that he can't wait to see who show face at Armageddon. They do this whole convoluted thing. Oh, where this say, is so stupid. Oh, yeah, it's like oh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Edge, Eddie Guerrero. That sounds like a great match. And it's just like who who are you? Like who <laughs> is the puppet controlling you at this point? The puppet master <laughs> just putting his hand up your backside to say all these shitty lines. It's just terrible. I can't wait to see this match in person. What? <laughs> Like, why wouldn't he be there in person? Why wouldn't you expect anything less? Well, I guess they assume that he'd still be suspended by the time Armageddon comes around. Because like Stephanie's line is that he is under an indefinite suspension. Well, that's so, I, I don't know. It just seems so silly to me. Yeah, well, it's just the silly way they produced it. And Heyman and Show freak out in the ring after that announcement. Uh, we come back from break and it's time for the cruiserweight another cruiserweight championship match, third cruiserweight title match in a row. Of Kidman on SmackDown. Uh, this time Michael Cole calls Billy Kidman the fighting champion. Yay! Yeah. So it's uh, Billy Kidman defending against Chavo Guerrero. Uh, this match is pretty good. Again, these two I, very I familiar this. with each other. Yeah, very familiar with each other. Uh, Hurricane Rana by Kidman early, but Guerrero soon takes over with an elevated gut buster, and that essentially sets the tone of the heat is Kidman's gut is being worked over constantly. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The final Cruiserweight Championship match on Nitro? Oh no, that's um that's Shane Helms versus uh oh, Shane Helms versus Tyler, yes. Kidman was the last cruiserweight right? tag team champion. With Ray, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um so Chavo applies an abdominal stretch, he grabs the ropes intermittently because he's a heel, and that's easy heel heat. 
Um, there's a slight bar- botch as a kidman was meant to like reverse a gory bomb into a roll up, but he gets caught up in the ropes. But they they're straight back on it as Chavo hits a kitchen sink knee to the gut. Kidman goes flying. Uh, Kidman fights back with a drop kick and a flying elbow. Uh, Chavo transitions from a suplex into an O'Connor roll like instantly. It's like instantaneous. Like he's down from the suplex and he's immediately rolling Kidman up. It was really really smooth. Um, oh, I like this match a lot, and I think this is a great run for Kidman, even though unfortunately Kidman isn't really praised. Yeah, the crowd is definitely quiet for this entire match, unfortunately. Um, he blocks a uh, Tornado DDT, hits a me, came on for two. Chavo then dives off the second turnbuckle into a Tornado DDT. They both then knock each other off the turnbuckle and go to the floor for a little while. I thought uh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, Chavo goes for a super kick, superplex. Super, not super kick, a superplex. Kidman blocks, misses the shooting star press. That's the first time we've seen him miss the shooting star. Like, occasionally, like, he gets stopped on the top turnbuckle. He actually just face-planted. So, and then Chavo hits the gory bomb. So, you'd be understood just thinking, okay, they're giving Chavo the win here. I kind of did for a second. But Kidman gets his foot on the ropes from the gory bomb. I like Chavo... to put his foot on the middle rope, because you just don't see that. But he got his foot all the way up to the middle rope in order mm. to break the hole. Chavo then goes for his special weapon, because he's basically the guy that always goes for the tag title, try and get an advantage. So he grabs a tag title, but Kidman knocks it away before he can use it. He then brings Chavo off the apron into the ring with a saving grace. I like it. Yeah, it was an interesting way of putting it in. Then he nails the shooting star press at the second attempt and retains the title. Yeah, good match. Very good match. Very good. Uh, Mark Lloyd is interviewing Edge backstage. Yeah, and again, I just want to say Edge is like not finding himself here. It takes... The Lita incident, unfortunately, for Edge to, like, really find who he is. What a cheater. Uh, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it serves him well in his wrestling career. A guy who screws over his friends and uses it to his own professional advantage. Yes. Um, so Mark Lloyd invents Edge. He brings up the Mysterio incident and how the Fatal 4 could change Edge's life. Edge's focus has been shifted due to Albert's attack, but his main goal is always to reach the next level. Says that tonight will be an outlet of the aggression he'll take on Albert, and then like fucking sprint, like, he just yeah, just sprints over, and then Albert is just there, like in catering or whatever, probably. But it's just like, just sees Albert stage to have a, like a brawl. They're separated by referees and backstage wrestlers and stuff like that. But my interesting thing about that is just the case of Eddie's doing that promo, and it's not like Albert just walks into shot or anything. It's just Albert is just there, and Eddie's mm-hmm. just cutting his promo, and then Eddie just turns his eyes slightly. You just oh my god, I finally clocked that this giant guy has been in my line of sight for this whole time and I didn't know and now I'm just going to go and attack him. Yeah, maybe it's a matter of, uh, like, the light didn't hit Albert properly or mm. something. Uh, now we're going to move on to the hip-hop challenge between John Cena, accompanied by B-Squared, and Rikishi. The, so this is amazing to me. Knowing what we know now, this is very much a knowing-what-we-know-now kind of segment. But Michael Cole, to hear Michael Cole make John Cena sound like he is the biggest dork that has ever walked the face of this earth was hysterical to me. Mm. This fucking guy's going to carry your company for 10 years. And they're like, oh, look at this dork. And Taz goes, hey, Cena, you know, you're on TV. Dressed like that. This was so Vince, right? 
Yeah, it had to be like very like Vince doesn't get it. So it takes him five years and then he says a very inappropriate word on TV. But he gets it in in a few years from this. But um, this was so weird to me that John Cena is being made out to look like a fool. An absolute fool. Yeah, so Cole Cole, Cole Cena and Vanilla Ice want to be on the... Um, on commentary, Taz reminding that he's dressed in a furry hat on TV, saying like, "You know, we're on TV, pal. Why are you wearing Perry Saturn's hat?" Um, Love him. <laughs> uh, then Rikishi comes out. He looks a lot cooler than John Cena does. Um, I will say this: Samoans apparently just are gifted with swag, even <laughs> ones that look like Rikishi. They're just they just have it in them. So did Manu um, just get out, just like, just drop again, out of the gene pool? <laughs> again, Manu, just unfortunately, something happened there. But uh, Michael Cole almost made Rikishi sound like an irritant when he said, well, listen, uh, Rikishi will tell anybody who listens that he got shot twice and he lives day by day. And it's like, why are you making it sound like it's a problem, Cole? It's very strange. It was almost like they couldn't dunk on Al Wilson. Said to dunk on this whole segment. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Because um, Taz says the crowd will pick a winner. Cena then does his lyrics. He cuts and rhymes, insulting Taz's height and saying that all the women want him. No, no, and he uses the word retarded. No, yeah, that's that's the line I was getting to. So okay, I'm sorry. This, this battle, this battle was over way before it even started. You against me, that's totally retarded. And he yeah. does like a little motion. And okay, hey, look, did it, you? It, Rob, did you know that John Cena has done more weight making spinners than anyone in history? <laughs> I know, that's why I told you when we got in here off off camera, I was like, man, I think the hip hop challenge hit me the weirdest because this felt so wrong for yeah, John this... Cena to be, first of all, made fun of, and then for him to be like, hey, you're retarded. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John, do you know what you're going to be doing in just a few years' time? Is releasing a series of kids' books as well, and all this other stuff. I know. Like, like ah. this is this is so out of what Cena is nowadays. That, but this is what gets him over this sort of stuff. This is the thing that people wanted to see him do, and they hated the fact that, or a lot of people hate the fact that he turned into the Superman that's like always eat your vitamins, brush your teeth. And it's it's interesting because he does say. That it was, and he hasn't proven himself to be like Hulk Hogan or anything. So he does say he noticed kids coming to shows. So he was like, you know what? I'm done rapping and I want to be for the kids. And bless him, he's done great things. But this felt so out of place. So Rikishi then, quote unquote, raps back, which is essentially just him talking. And he just basically goes, oh. You're not even as cool as Vanilla Ice, and you're an Eminem wannabe. Mm. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, Yeah, he talks about surviving being shot, because, again, Michael Cole just bring up that. Yeah, everyone, he just likes to talk about the fact that you were shot once. And uh, it does like, seem like that's like just a nonchalant thing. But And then he shouts out Big D, because he's the baby face, so he has to, to shout the hometown. Um, be, uh, so it's just... There's this really off-timed rap music playing over the top of both of them as well that neither of them are sticking to the rhythm of. Yeah. I don't know if that was, was done in post. Even, like, the name of this, right? It's a hip-hop challenge. Like, whoever was... They had no idea what rap culture was mm. at this point. 
So B-square tries to attack Rikishi from behind. Rikishi fights both of them off until Cena decks him from behind. Then Taz tries to get involved, so Cena just punches Taz in the mouth and to it. send him going. Uh, Rikishi fights back for a bit more, and Taz does the thing that Taz does so well, which is he's just been punched or attacked or offended, so he's going to take the glasses off, look like the baddest motherfucker that's ever lived. And so, uh, Rikishi fight, knocks back Cena, and Taz locks in the Taz mission. The crowd go absolutely insane. Taz should have been the biggest star in wrestling history. <laughs> I was right, almost guaranteeing that sort of things. That's what I was going to say. So, okay. First of all, let's just talk about Taz. Because Taz does this huge pop, super badass. They clearly knew how to book Taz. So the fact that he doesn't become a bigger deal is a little shocking to me. I wonder if they'd gotten their hands on Taz in 98 pre-hardcore title if they would have turned Taz into a bigger deal. And it was like they, they relied too much on the hardcore title as like a crutch for him. Yeah, because he was an ECW guy. So of course he would be interested in the hardcore title. Right, but like it was I, I, I do, Yeah, I just do generally think that like if Taz had been around this point in time in wrestling or like even in like around about the 2010s when height wasn't as big of an issue he would have been a top star. Oh, Taz, Taz right now, if Taz could be, for example, his son is training in AEW. If his son is one iota of the wrestler that Taz was, he's going to have a great career because that style is more prevalent than ever. But I got to go right back to, yo, even Taz was punking out John Cena. (laughs) Like, what is this? This felt, so off like this just seems like a oh, fuck this dude he's gonna be on velocity for his whole career we we could have taz choke him out yeah i mean i guess in fairness taz was only recently retired so it wasn't like the worst thing in the world for him to beat someone i'm like still i know that he's doing that in 2020 to cody Rhodes. it's a bit it's a bit different really but it's, it's still fucking awesome even then he fucking puts it on like yeah this is taz and taz for whatever you want to think about ECW, was Tommy Dreamer overrated? You can make the argument. There's a lot of arguments you can make about ECW. Taz was a bad motherfucker. Is not an argument you can make about ECW. So Rikishi then clears the ring. He shows respect to Taz. He then asks Taz to join him for a dance. And as good and a wrestler Taz that Taz does. is, he's not a dancer. No, he is not. And, like, this felt so out of place for Taz. I almost wish... You had to skip the dance off and just give him like two more minutes to that main event. Yeah, almost certainly. So the pyro goes off in all the corners as Rikishi continues to bust the movers. Taz slinks away as quickly as he possibly can. Um, we're close to the main event, but Mark Lloyd grabs Kurt Angle as he's putting on his knee brace uh, for his thoughts on the Fatal Four Way. Angle says that his thoughts are on winning the title, proving superiority over Benoit once again, and proving why he's the next WWE champion. Love it. Short, sweet to the point. And then we move on to the main event, which is, again, I might just let you go off a little bit on this one once I've just announced it, but it's Kurt Angle versus Edge versus Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero for the number one contendership for the WWE Championship at Armageddon. Before we get into the actual like meat of the match itself, we probably should talk about the prelude to it, which is the Edge and Albert stuff. Mm-hmm. So during Edge's entrance, uh, he's doing his thing where he like, bounces on the ropes. Albert dives into the ring, still chest shots Edge's right leg, takes another shot before the referees are able to stop him. 
Um, after the break, we see that Edge has been taken backstage, so he's seemingly out of the match. All the other guys come out, so it seems like it's going to be a triple threat match now. Uh, but as soon as the match is about to start as a triple threat, Edge's music hits. He's limping out to the ring. And, yeah, so he comes out and he's still going to be involved with it, even though he looks injured. And you know what's something that I really love about this? And it's something that I kind of wish they'd done for the recent Winter is Coming thing of AEW, even though that was a great show, is that, that they front-loaded two commercial breaks really fucking quickly here. Mm-hmm. In that they did the they did commercial break as soon as Edge gets attacked by Albert. And then they do the thing where everyone makes their entrance in. Edge makes his entrance, go to another commercial break. Because you know this match is going a good 20 to 30 minutes and we want to get as much fit as possible on TV. I love that. And I even like when they went to commercial break and come back, Edge is in a compromised position already, but they actually go back and show you, okay, this is how the match started, this is what you missed. So, you know, it's like, don't worry, we're going to show everything to you. I really enjoyed that. Unfortunately for um, me, I guess, I, I just didn't understand. Like, listen, if all you officials can run out immediately after Albert attacks this man, why are you not stopping him from... It's one of those weird, like, okay, shut your brain off because it's wrestling. But, like, why is nobody stopping this man from getting there to begin with? Mm. Yeah, um, who could, like, like oh, oh God, I, I didn't see this 350-pound man scrape into the ring and stuff like that. And... Again, I guess the light just didn't hit him in the right place. Yeah, he's he's deceptively um, stealthy, that Albert. And giant hairy back. Um, so this match just is brilliant. It's just an absolutely amazing elimination fatal four-way match. Uh, it's interesting the way they went with elimination. So this is a four-way dance essentially. This isn't a typical fatal four-way. Right. This is very much in the in the mold of the old ECW style of things. Mm-hmm. It's just like when when you got when you got good wrestlers. I mean, because obviously everyone talks about ECW. They talk about the hardcore stuff. But they also remember, need to remember the fact that they had Eddie Guerrero, they had Chris Benoit, they had Chris Jericho at certain points. They had really, really good wrestlers that did really, really good wrestling matches as well as the hardcore shit. Yeah, and I think people need to understand ECW at its best had some of the best wrestlers ever. You know, and this was, this could have been an ECW match. You throw in a chair or two and you've got like your stereotypical ECW match. This match was phenomenal, and I almost, like, I was worried a little bit, because when you build up a match in your mind, because you watched it from childhood, you're like, oh, is it going to live up? This match does live up to expectations. It's a lot faster paced than I remember. Yeah, definitely the start as well. Because I think this match doesn't get phenomenal until it's just angle and edge. Which is unfortunate, because it's not... Obviously, we love Eddie and Benoit as a wrestler, but, you know, like, Edge and Angle really do carry this load, and first of all, Kurt Angle, I'm fully on board with you now, is the master of the two-count. Absolutely, he is, yeah, that's like, just just an excellent ability that he has to just get it at the absolute last second. There's a moment here, Guerrero hits him with the frog splash. And I, knowing the result of the match, obviously, was like, wait, did is he going to lose? Because he gets up at, like, 2.999. Like, the way this man 
does his near falls is flawless. Absolutely. Yeah, they do that interesting thing like early, I'd just say early on in the match, but obviously this leads closely to the first two eliminations, but Angle kicks out a frog splash, Eddie kicks out of a diving headbutt, then Benoit kicks out of the execution. So they're all kicking out of each other's finishers. Um, Eddie eats two German suplexes, then Edge spears Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Benoit throws Edge out of the ring, locks in the crossface, Eddie Guerrero taps out, he's the first man eliminated. There was a lot of that, like, greed in terms of, well, you know, I'm going to elevate him. You get out of the ring. Like, we're going to see in a second. Um, Edge has Angle pinned, and Benoit just grabs Edge off of Angle and puts him in the crossface. Like, you don't necessarily need to do that. And then that's immediately countered with Angle grabs Benoit off of Edge and puts Benoit in the... Uh, ankle lock. It's like it's an elimination match, guys. You can you don't have to be so aggressive, but it just shows that like they all wanted to be superior over one another, and it's just it's so good because it's one of those matches that I can honestly show somebody who's never seen wrestling and just go, well, okay, these four guys are fighting because the winner is going to go to the pay per view and fight this champion. Like that's it, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah, so Benoit kicks Angwood's referee from the ankle lock. Eddie then gets in the ring because the referee's down. Hits Benoit with the tag team title. Edge spears him. Then he spears Benoit and Benoit is eliminated. And that obviously sets up what will be the Armageddon match between Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Yeah, i got to be honest. At this point, I'm not getting the vibes from Benoit that he's about to challenge for the world title in two months. But it's everything works out. Obviously, he and Eddie never have a bad match, so they're going to go to Armageddon and have a, a pretty good match, and then Benoit will be right back on top. But now we get into the real fucking, all right, this is a match, because yeah. Kurt Angle and Edge have some of the best chemistry in wrestling history. So the thing you have to remember about when you look into this match about Edge and Kurt Angle is that they've had a long rivalry throughout 2002 in the... Edge is the one that shaved Angle bald. They had a steel cage match at one point. They've had a lot of a lot of big matches in earlier in 2002. And then they're both on SmackDown. They're both always in this either tag title picture or they're vying for the world championship. But they're always getting in each other's way. So this has a long history surrounding it as well. And Angle, essentially this entire match is, from this point on, it's Edge has been hurt for a while and he's fighting through all this thing and Angle can't put him away. Because Edge takes everything in this one. Well, actually, it's a mixture of the things. Edge takes a lot of this, but also Edge gives a lot back. Like, he does a lot of big moves to Angle, and he just can't put Angle away. Angle is just... Uh, again, it's telling the story of, like, Edge is so close to being right at that main event level. He's so close to that top echelon, but Angle is there. And this is, the, like, a battle of, like, is Edge just going to surpass Angle? Is he going to get to Angle's level? Or is the fact that Angle is just slightly ahead of Edge in the pecking order right now going to see him through? And it's just a a huge series of power moves and like signature offense. Edge is always constantly like climbing to the top rope and doing stuff like that, even though his leg is busted. He's hitting missile drop kicks. Uh, he's still fighting out. He's like throws Angle around with belly to belly. He hits an edge matic 
Angle then hit, follows up with two German suplexes, but Edge then rolls through the third for another near fall. And the near falls Angle is at his absolute element here, just kicking out of everything. Kicks out the spear. The crowd are screaming at this point with some of the kickouts. He hits the execution. Angle kicks out again. Uh, he knocks Angle off the top. They do that great spot where Angle is going to, like you think, oh, Angle's going to climb up, throw Edge off the top rope. But Edge fights him off, hits a missile drop kick, gets another two count. And everyone's just thinking, oh, God, he's got a game eventually, or what's going to happen here? Uh, Angle then hits the Angle Slam, and so you think, oh, it's over. Edge kicks out. So now you just, now at this point on, you just, okay, this is really in the balance here. I've no idea what's going to happen. And I probably wouldn't have had any idea what happened, other than the fact that I just know that they're booking Edge against Albert, because why would they have Albert attack beforehand? So that kind of buries the lead a little bit with that one. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. So much fun, Calum. Like, yeah. wrestling. When wrestling is good, and this is the thing, we talk so much on this channel sometimes about the dragging through some of the stereotypical stuff of wrestling, but when wrestling is good, there's nothing better. And this was so good. And I'm going to be honest, was it a little shorter than I remembered? Sure. But it's great that, you know, there's such intensity and you didn't see matches like this all the time. It's like now if this match happened now, I'd be like, eh, it's another good match. No, but like you can feel the shift in tone when it's Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit and Edge and Eddie Guerrero, because we've been watching a show that has a hip-hop challenge, and Tori Wilson and Don Marie, and this just feels like, all right, put all that other bullshit aside, this is still wrestling, there's still a WWE championship, and these four guys want it, and motherfucker, this might be top five TV matches I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so Edge fights through the ankle lock constantly, um, manages to eventually get the ropes, hits the enziguri. He then hits an angle slam of his own. Angle kicks out of that. Edge then he constantly climbs to the top rope, but the punishment to his leg has been too much, so he doesn't get up there quickly enough. Angle's able to scale up there, shoot up like a flash, hit the super angle slam, and gets the victory. You know what I loved about that? Aside from the fact that, first of all, you don't see avalanche moves like that every day in 2002. Mm. The announcers didn't do the, oh my god, this is it. They just went, oh, no, ball game. Uh, you know, cover them, it's over. One, two. Like, they didn't do this thing of, like, oh, can this be? You know, it was just like, nope, that's it. Okay. You know, let, let's move on to Armageddon now. I, yes. I love everything about this. I want this Michael Cole back in my life. Can we, you know, can we make that happen? Like, it's definitely an improvement. It's I would say so it's like amazing, good. but it's definitely an improvement. But, but compared to now, it's like, oh, look, he's an actual broadcaster. Yeah, that that is true. But, yeah, so this was a lot of fun. You accomplished a lot. You set up a feud for Armageddon between Ben Warren, um, Ben Warren, Eddie Guerrero, by having them basically the cause of each other's elimination. You made Edge look out to be as gutsy as possible. You set him on to a trajectory to be a future WWE champion, even if it took a sideways route because of his injury. He still got there eventually. And you set him up on his feud with Albert by having Albert essentially be the one that, if his right leg had been in better shape, maybe he could have won this match, that sort of thing. And you obviously made Angle the number one contender. And Angle at this point in time is 
probably your top star on SmackDown, so it makes sense for him to go after the title. Um, post-match, Big Show arrives, he chugs Land's angle, uh, he and Heyman stand over his fallen body, so they're starting a very quick transition into angle being a baby face now. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Honestly, as a kid, I don't know why I recall this, but I recall the show rolling credits after that. Mm. I do not recall. But, but Rob, we haven't had the main event yet. I know. I don't recall this happening on TV. So, show's not over yet. As uh, Troy Wilson is seen anxiously standing outside hotel room 357. Uh, she knocks, but there's no answer. So she uses the key card Dawn gave her. She enters. You see the cameraman just run through ahead of Tori Wilson, just like so to get this shot of uh, oh my Dawn God, Marie sitting on, sitting on a, a leopard a leopard sheet bed, uh, wearing uh, a black robe with a glass of wine in her hand. Uh, Dawn says yeah. that Dawn says like swoop into his faith in Tori. Tori just walks into the room. Doesn't notice the cameraman standing there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe does. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Dawn says that if Tori does everything that she wants, the wedding will be off. Uh, she leans towards Tori, but Tori just leaves. She gets cold feet. Dawn then says, guess you don't love your father after all. Tori then does her best. Oh, no, acting. But she just, like, <laughs> stares at the door, stares at Dawn, stares at the door, stares at Dawn. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then reluctantly returns, stands by Dawn. Dawn says, like, that's better. Um, and then the show roll ends. Credits. Yeah, then roll credits. Uh, okay. Like, so, 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 how do you feel about the fact that instead of ending the show with an awesome Fatal Four Way match, setting up for a WWE Championship match, we ended it with the porn? main story on SmackDown is porn, essentially. <laughs> yeah, lesbian porn. Yeah, I'm surprised that this is network television. Like, I, you know, this is this is just not good. This so, is yeah, very strange. Yeah. So, I think. My overall review of this episode is that it's better than last week's one, but I think that's predominantly due to the main event. I, I think it's also predominantly due to the lack of fucking, hey, let's all beat up women. Or like, let's that's, sexually I mean, harass I mean, no, that's true. But <laughs> we still have one that apparently a general manager that uses her body and two women that manipulate each other into a lesbian angle. Yeah, you got me there. I mean... And the hip-hop challenge wasn't... Like, let's put it this way. It was, fu- John it was fun. John Cena said the, the word retarded on this episode. Yeah, so well, it the, can't be great. I mean, the the funnest part of the hip hop challenge was Taz attacking John Cena, and the rest of it was kind of just there. And the mat, all the other matches were either short or squash matches, so there wasn't really much to sink your teeth into other than the main event, really. But the main event was so good that it kind of almost makes you want to go away by saying, "Okay, that was a thumbs up show," and then. If they'd left it there, then you see the story stuff and realize, oh yeah, the show wasn't actually as good as I thought it was. When you see stuff like this, and I, I, this is probably a conversation for another day, but can you understand why WWE fundamentally cannot subscribe to the idea of so and so was uh, outed as so and so? They must be fired. Because they must just go, well, look at the shit in our archive. Like, we should all be fired. Like, I mean, there there's some things within just my upbringing that I'm like, I cannot believe I was allowed to watch this program. Specifically this. Like, this Don Marie Tory stuff. It's like, this is literally just 
porn. I cannot believe that I was watching this at the age of nine. Like, it really speaks volumes to, like, oh, but it's wrestling, so it's for the kids. It's Hulk Hogan. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then it's, no, this is porn. This is, this is just porn. And I don't understand, like, why they let this fly on TV. Uh, desperate desperation for ratings is probably my answer to that one. Yeah, you, wasn't it the uh, the ruthless aggression documentary that's like, well, we towards the end of the attitude era, we were just getting desperate for desperate sake and doing whatever. It's like no, no, knee deep in the ruthless aggression era is when you were getting desperate for desperation sake with some of the shit you were doing. So I guess that um, that's pretty much it for this review. So we hope that uh, you've enjoyed our review of this, up, the ups and downs of this uh, weird episode of SmackDown. Uh, only things left to do is just to throw a few plugs your way. So, of course, there is the Patreon, where if you want to just throw a buck our way or throw five bucks, ten bucks, if you throw ten bucks or more, then you can get involved in the uh, Dark Casts, which include the review we'll be doing of the Armageddon 2002 show, which obviously now one of the headliners will be the Kurt Angle Big Show main event for the WWE Championship. So if you want to hear our review of that pay-per-view, then dark cast, dark cast here or above, then, yeah, that's all great stuff there. And obviously any amount that you can give us is greatly, greatly appreciated. If there's anything else you want to support us through the monetary side of things, there are, of course, the Redbubble and Tee Public shops where you can pick up some Small Cat Moment merchandise. Uh, but other ways you can support us non-monetarily, which is check out all the articles on smallcatmoment.com, like them, share them, around to your friends, leave a comment below, uh, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, join the Mega Maniacs, which are a big Facebook group where you can talk with like-minded wrestling fans and stuff like that. If you want to help Tony out in particular, then you should be checking out everything that Fanboys Anonymous is doing. That's your geek culture fix for all the things that are involving around movies and television and video games. Then Fanboys Anonymous is the place to go. Find their Patreon, find their Redbubble, find their Public, find their website, find them on social media. That's all the great stuff there as well. Rob, do you want to throw out the very busy world of wrestling that you're a part of right now? Yeah, so um, right now you can check me out on news for Fightful.com covering, uh, well, tomorrow we'll be covering Tribute to the Troops and uh, NXT TakeOver War Games, which I promise will have much better treatment of women and women's wrestling. And you can also check me out on WrestleZone during the week. Follow me on Twitter at DudeFelice. Check out everything Tony's got going on in his busy world of wrestling on Bleach Report, e-wrestling news, and more. You know, just keep clicking around, and we'll see you tomorrow night for the review of War Games. Very much so. And you can follow me on Twitter at Weekmeister14. Thank you very much for listening to this edition. We'll see you next week for... The fallout of this show and the final build towards Armageddon. But for now, this has been another smart out moment and we are being counted out.